Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, show is always free, but if you want to support me on there, you can. That's at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie. Um, and if you sign up, you do get a weekly bonus episode of everything else I'm watching. People ask me for reviews on you know current movies since we normally do people's favorites they tend to be older um tv shows and other stuff that's all on the patreon uh and i want to take a quick moment to thank my top patrons and they are jeff woodman philip barker and michael cross thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on oh and josh johnson sorry josh <laughs> and if you like what you heard today please subscribe and rate the show it does help new listeners find us um and i have a returning voice on the podcast i've got chris uh from last theater podcast and also recently from creepycatalog.com say hi chris hello how are you doing well um if people haven't heard your voice on here would you mind introducing yourself a little bit just kind of telling us a little bit about you sure so i am chris i have been into movies since i was born my dad was big into horror meaning I am big into horror. And uh, yeah, when I got older, my friend and I started a podcast called, well, actually we did a podcast about wrestling, but then I want to do a podcast about movies and that's The Last Theater. But that is on hiatus at the moment because I am writing for a horror website, as you mentioned, Lisa, creepycatalog.com. And one of the reasons I love coming on your show, Lisa, is because I do live and breathe horror, but this outlet gives me a chance to talk about other movies that I love. And Japanese film is one thing that I have loved for decades at this point. Nice. Yeah. Um, we covered Perfect Blue once upon a mm -hmm. time. Yes. Perfect Blue was the first one. And then we did First Love on the last oh, time. Oh, that's right. Here. Yeah. Yes. That was a good one. I like that. Yes. One. That was fun. Um, yes. I have wanted to do. Okay. So normally, dear listener, I have my guests pick the movie, but I'm going to fess up here i i picked this <laughs> but i was thinking of who would want to talk about this movie and i immediately thought of chris because of what you said chris just now about uh japanese film so the the backstory to this is i recently finally saw the movie everything everywhere all at once and there was something about the surrealness of it and the positivity i guess i i, I guess like a lot of times when movies have like a lot of mind bending stuff in it it's usually like tragic or a psychological um horror or something like that but that movie was unique in the fact that it's it's got a very positive message and this movie is similar to that so it's not like the same 
but it reminded me of it for some reason. I was like, you know what? We should finally talk about, and I'll just say the title now, Millennium Actress. Yes, that's and that's awesome. Like Everything Everywhere All at Once was my favorite movie of 2022. Nice. Like, hands down. Like I love horror, but that that won it for me. And I, I didn't even make the connection. But yeah, I can see I can see how you would connect the two, how one would spark the other. There is a part of me that of my brain, I think, that every movie that I really like, I somehow try to relate it to Satoshi Kon. I <laughs> it's like right? a weird obsession I have. But anyway, um, I was like, yes, I want to talk about that movie. And then I was like, well, I have to find someone to talk about it with. And I was like, yeah, you'd be perfect because we did Perfect Blue. And mm-hmm. I'm like, didn't ask you to make sure, but I'm like, I bet considering how much you like Japanese film in general that you liked this movie. So I was like, you must come back and talk about it. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to say right here that if you have not seen the movie before, I recommend you pause and you go watch it because we are going to spoil it. Um, You can see it right now for free on Tubi. If you're listening to this when it came out, because I noticed that when I was kind (laughs) of searching around. So you're out of excuses please watch it um but let me tell a little bit about the movie and then we'll kind of talk a little bit more about it and as always i steal these i'm not a writer like chris so i steal my summaries from online sources and i took this one from imdb um in this animated feature filmmaker genya tachibana begins a work documentary about famed japanese actress chiyoko fujiwara Now well into old age, Chiyoko has become reclusive and shy about any publicity, but she eventually warms up to Tachibana and starts to relate her life story. As the decades pass, Chiyoko is transformed from a teen with big dreams into a full-blown celebrity, while her cinematic characters span various eras from ancient Japan to the distant future. Um, That kind of, I think barely scratches the surface but anyway right. <laughs> it's, um, yeah that's no. kind of what happens but not necessarily what it's about you yes know? that's yeah. a very good way of putting it and unfortunately because i feel like this is a little bit obscure like i'm always waiting for people to finally see this movie um mm-hmm. but i think like when it came out so it came out in 2003 and i feel like it's it's different you know but i feel that I mentioned everything everywhere all at once because I feel like we're finally in a period in cinema history where people are so much more open to different concepts and to like, you know, artistic and new interpretations of things. Whereas something like this would have seemed so strange in 2003. Now it would be like, oh, this is just another sci-fi or you know whatever movie that's like fun to watch i feel like people are finally on board for that kind of stuff but because it doesn't have like a big following the way that some other things do over here um there weren't that many uh you know facts that i could pull out but one that i had was that the character of chiyoko is somewhat reminiscent of Satsuko Hara, a famed Japanese movie star of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, who likewise withdrew suddenly from public life. Satoshi Kon has recognized this influence in an interview, also citing Hideko uh, Takamine, uh, but insisting that Chiyoko is primarily a universally human character. So he's kind of based her off a couple people, but he won't commit all the way. She's still his own creation. Right, and I... I got the uh, 
a Blu-ray of it of Millennium Actress sometime last year, and this gave me the opportunity to finally like dig into all the bonus oh, features. Nice. Oh gosh, yeah, I need there's... that. I need to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's a steel book. It's it's really nice. It's beautiful in uh, high def. So, um, but he does talk about that a little bit, and I thought it was interesting. Like Satoshi Kon in all his interviews has is like really humble. I would say, mm-hmm. and just kind of downplaying what he does. And like, I think he's brilliant. He was brilliant. And, uh, but he always kind of downplays that. And he, when he talks about the lead character, he never talks about Setsuko Hara by name, um, mm. but he does talk about researching film and film history. And like you said, he does, he has said that there is a resemblance. Surely there are very clear references in the movie to Japanese films, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But the character of Chiyoko, as far as like Setsukohara, he says he even went as far to say is like her being an actress didn't matter as much as the story he wanted to tell. So it Mm. wasn't like he came with an idea. I want to create a movie about an actress who tells a story that kind of goes in and out of her movies and her own life and like that. He came to it from, we have this idea that is huge. We want to talk about all these different time periods. We want to talk about um, this, like the main thrust of the story. How do we do that? Oh, if we put an actress in there, we can do that through the movies that she was in. That's kind of how he approached getting into the movie from what he said in that interview. That makes a lot of sense because I know that, you know, Perfect Blue was his first feature. Mm-hmm. And basically he, you know, really liked the horror and the, but the surrealness of it. And he wanted mm-hmm. to make a movie that was like, what if there was like a positive version of that where it's not disorienting and scary, but like a different spin on it. So it makes sense that that concept is like before having it be an actress. Right. And that's exactly what he talks about because um, him and the, uh, he worked with one of the producers, Maso Maruyama, and I think he worked on uh, Perfect Blue with him too. Basically, producers mm-hmm. were like, we want you to make another movie. Can you make another Perfect Blue? And they were <laughs> like, well, we did the horror side of it, and we know we're good at that. We want to show that that's not all we can do. So mm-hmm. like exactly like you said, they it's those two movies are definitely like companion pieces. They're like sisters, you know? Oh yeah, there's um, tons of parallels. Yeah. yeah, but it's the it's the other side of the coin, basically. Percent. Yeah. Um, do you know how well it was received in Japan? That I'm not 100 percent sure of. I don't think it was. It wasn't like a major hit. I think it was successful, um, but not like a runaway hit. Uh, yeah. Kind of like Perfect Blue has always been. It's always overshadowed by Perfect Blue. I think. I think so too. And I think even in the U S the release was not really super well received, which is why I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people have heard of perfect blue, but haven't necessarily heard of this film. Right. Um, And I wonder if that is because of you see perfect blue and you're like, wow, this guy is amazing at psychological horror and thriller. And then you see millennium actress, like for general audiences, do they see that and be like, well, I don't know that he can do that. You know, or if they even connected the two. Or if, yeah, or if they even know, like, based on the trailer, like, what is this about? They're like, oh, it's about an mm-hmm. actress. Like, right. un- until you actually see it, you don't really know what it's about, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So speaking of that, like, when did you first see this? I was trying to think of when the first time I saw it. And I know it wasn't in theaters because I know the the theatrical release in the United States was minimal at best. Um, It was on DVD probably years later. I think I was I was one of those that didn't necessarily rush out to see it. Yes. For whatever reason. But then when I did see it, it was probably I would say probably around like 2010 or so. It was the first time I saw it. And yeah, loved it and have watched it. I don't revisit it as often as Perfect Blue because I am a horror guy and I think that's a one of the best movies ever made. But I do visit Millennium Actress um, fairly regularly over the years. Yeah, I think when I I can't pinpoint the exact year, but I think it was like when I was just like a really big fan of his already. um, Mm -hmm. And I really love Perfect Blue and uh, really loved Paranoia Agent. And so mm-hmm. I think that I started being like, okay, I need to see like all his movies. And that's yeah. how I saw this. But I remember like it having a huge impact on me. I remember like at the very end, the last line of the film, I, I like cried. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. Yeah. I was just surprised by how moving I found the movie, how much I related to it. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're listening to two people that love movies, talk about movies. And this movie mm-hmm. is about, is kind of about loving movies, you know? So right. it's like, yeah. there's just a lot there that I just really connected with. Um, but yeah, so let's, I guess let's kind of dive in a little bit. Like, what do you want to talk about first? Let, I think the, the thing that always stands out to me every time I watch it is I kind of see different things and I can see it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the, the unreliable narrator aspect mm-hmm. of Chiyoko is definitely one of the most fascinating things because you were saying earlier that people back when this came out, weren't necessarily ready for something like this. This is almost yeah. like dreamlike storytelling, like mm-hmm. what's real, what's not, does it matter? It doesn't really matter. I don't think, but it's one of those things where you can see different things every time you watch the movie. So like very early on, you start to realize that, wait, is she talking about a movie she was in or is this yeah, real life? life? Was it yeah. both? Like, and in her mind and in um, Genya, the, uh, the guy that's doing the documentary within the movie, like, does it matter really if it's real yeah. or not? Right. Cause he's just getting her account. And you know, I had another thought. I saw another movie recently uh, that was called, bardo um a handful of false truths or something like that Mm -hmm. um and it's similar to this movie in that somebody is like recounting their life but it is really surreal and you're visually and what he's talking about and you're often wondering like did this really happen and Mm -hmm. but then impossible things happen in the movie so you're like that can't be why by the end you kind of get an explanation of why it's so surreal Um, but I was like, oh man, it kind of reminds me of that movie too. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think, um, you know, picking like an actress to tell the story through and the fact that the narrator is elderly, you know, by the time we're meeting Mm. her and she's talking about something so far in the past, um, that you kind of have to take her word for everything, but then she kind of ends up getting a little bit confused, like what was her real life and what was in the movie and like you said, does it even matter? Um, but I also like the fact that, and we kind of touched on it earlier that, you know, in perfect blue, there was like this display of how fame and 
fandom specifically can be so incredibly toxic. Like he, he figured that out. I feel like way before everyone else did almost <laughs> like he For could sure. see yeah. where fandom was going. But mm. then this movie is like the opposite. This is like the positive side of fandom because Genya is a fan, you know, uh, he is an ex employee and he's a filmmaker, but he's a huge fan of Chioko, but he's not obsessive and, and crazy like uh, the, the crazy fan in the mm. first film. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Me Mania. Yeah. Instead, yeah. he's a, a respective admirer. And I feel like in some ways he's... I always felt like he was like the stand-in for Satoshi Kon. Like, that's him inserting himself into the movie a little bit. Yeah. Um, And I don't know. I really like... I love his character. And I like that part of this movie. He's a huge fan of Chiyoko. And his little buddy that's coming with him, the film, everything like kind of doesn't care. And is kind of right. like, oh, this old actress, this, you know, defunct studio, who cares? And then he becomes a fan. The more the story goes on and he becomes more involved and we become a fan of Chiyoko as we watch it. So I just I don't know. I love all that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly I was thinking about it um, in the previous few days. No one I was going to have to talk about it for a while. I like it is. And I'll stop talking about Perfect Blue after a while, probably. But no, yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> Chiyoko, Chiyoko to. and Genya are absolutely the other side of Mima and Mimania. Like mm-hmm. it's it's that I would say Genya is a bit obsessive. He does yeah. get really into his <laughs> movies. But like you said, it's the more positive side. And he's he's trying to protect her. And maybe he goes too far. I don't know. Like, I mean, hiding certain things are not telling her everything was probably mm-hmm. a kindness but at the same time you know you can see it in in multiple ways too i think but just that that parallel of those two characters together and yeah just another note talking about the interview and satoshi Kone, uh realized that he wanted to have a documentary crew come in and interview chiyoko and that's going to be the framing device for the entire movie he said well we need to start researching it and just so happens that people came in to interview him about the oh. movie he was making. And he based Genya and Kyoji on the people that came to interview him. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're charmed by that. <laughs> right. Hopefully. Um, that's interesting. Well, also there's a second layer to this. Chiyoko is also obsessed with someone in the movie. Mm-hmm. She has like an unrequited love that drives her motivation throughout her life. So that's kind of a parallel to Genya being obsessed with her. It's just like two levels of unrequited love. And I don't know, that's mm-hmm. just, it seems so romantic in the movie to me. You know, I really like that. So, yeah. And I think it's a very, I was, I was trying to kind of reconcile my own thoughts about it because like you said, the, the ending line of how Chiyoko after searching for this man for her entire life, essentially, um, she says that I'm more in love with the chase rather than the man um, is essentially what she says. Yeah. And so I th- just think it's like, I think Genya is more in love with the Chiyoko in the movies, maybe. I agree. Than, than what he sees in person. So it's an interesting. And so I think Chiyoko knows that. And so. There's a scene really early in the movie after it gets after it goes through like the samurai and the ninja and and those sequences and it comes back for the first time to the room. She and Chiyoko is like, 
Genya's pretending to ride the horse and Chiyoko's pretending to run. And she says, is it okay if I tell it like this? I just thought that was a really interesting line in the movie. To oh, be like, I, I didn't notice it, that. Is she doing that for him? Or so there's so many layers. Like how much does she mm-hmm. remember and how much is she just putting on this performance and keeping that memory of the man who was tied to the key, keeping that to herself. Interesting. I really like that. Yeah. And and I like I like that last line because well, I like the way it ends, like, you know, her final movie is like her going into space. Mm-hmm. And then when she's there, she says that line and it's kind of like echoing what's happening in real life. It's like her going into space is kind of like her passing away. Mm-hmm. But it's also like it makes you feel like the end is like the start of some other adventure. It just seems really optimistic. And then right. the other part of it is I read like this um, analysis that I really like that I'll link in the description, but um, and it, it kind of captured exactly what I thought. I put it better than I could, but basically it's the pursuit of, of something of perfection, you know, it's like in the pursuit of art. And like, I feel like the movie is kind of commenting on that. It's like, it's kind of never done. You know, it's like when you're really in love with something and, and creating something, it's like that pursuit of it is more important than like one single piece in the same way that like, I'm sure the filmmaker filming her in the movie is like, you know, he's not going to ever make the perfect film, but it doesn't matter because it's the creation of it, the pursuit of it that's fulfilling. And for her, I think her career and her life and everything that she did, that was fulfilling enough. So it's like the man sort of came to represent the pursuit of that and not really who she was actually in love with. But I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I I think so, too. And I think that there's a definite reason that there's a parallel between Chiyoko and this man who is never named and you never really see his face. The clearest you see is kind of is in one of the flashbacks that's a movie that's a period piece and you kind of see his face but it's plain and always in shadow but both chiyoko and the man they're both artists because she's an actress and he paints and i think there's definitely something to that that parallel they're both he's he's always running a few steps ahead he's tied to something in manchuria he like has political political leanings that are never really explored fully but that's not pertinent to Chiyoko because she doesn't care about any of that. She just cares yeah. about him. So he's running ahead of her. She's always running after him. So it's it's like that thing where no matter how fast you run, he's always like a few steps ahead, which, like you said, could be a parallel to both of their art that they created in pursuit of the goals that they were trying to get. Yeah. And like when we first meet her, she's very young and mm-hmm. he's older. He's like an adult and she's like a teenager And I feel like there's something to that, too, of like her memory of him is so different than what he was probably even like, because she was kind of idolizing him. And I think she realizes that, too, at some point in the movie, when she gets older, she's like, I'm not even like the same person (laughs) as Mm. I was in the beginning. Like, would, would we even have anything in common or like, would we even have any real connection? She sort of chases that feeling of how she felt back when she was young, too. Yeah, I think that was, I want to say that's after the key is stolen from her by Oh, yeah, Inko. yeah. Yeah, and she, when she goes into that, one of her movies where she's a teacher in the classroom and they're asking her, it's kind of a flashback to when she was a girl and her friends were like teasing her about this man mm-hmm. that 
and the the girls in her classroom are like asking her the same kinds of questions and it's just so different like at this point she doesn't she can't remember who he was she only knew him for like what a day i think yeah she like helped him out when he was like hiding Mm -hmm. and then she came back and he was gone pretty much yeah so yeah Yeah. she does realize it and and that's kind of where like towards that part of the movie is where it it stops being like every step along the way and kind of goes into over the next decade i did all this Mm -hmm. stuff and create all these movies and it's not until the key comes back that we like really rejoin the story yeah, that's true. Um, I like the, I mean, there's so many things I like about this movie, but I like because they, they chose like a studio and, and an actress in that studio and you get to see like the golden era era of the studio all the way up until it's closing and like being demolished mm-hmm. literally as she's passing away, um, which is again, another like metaphor. Um, mm-hmm. But I liked that you know, we do see this kind of like war drama with her life at the same time as like the movies. And I feel like, to be honest, I don't know a lot about Japan's history, but mm-hmm. you kind of, you don't really have to, to get like the sense of urgency and, you know, delicate political situation that she's in. But I just think that's such a interesting aspect of the film. Like they don't go into it a whole lot, but I, I liked those parts. For sure. And it's definitely tied not just to film history of Japan, but I would say more so the actual history of Japan. Mm-hmm. So it's like she mentions that she was born during the uh, the Great Kanto Earthquake, which was 1923. So that's the year she was born. And if there's a few times throughout the movie, there's like moments where you can time it. OK, I know exactly when this is or within yeah. a few years like the destruction during World War II, you know when that mm-hmm. is. Manchuria was invaded in the early 30s by Japan, so that's when she meets the man. So she's probably around 10 years old or so. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the other one I can think of off the top of my head is the on the news, after she marries the director and is, like, yeah. vacuuming the house. On the news, you see... Uh, uh, on the TV, you see news about an American spaceship and oh, that was okay. sometime probably in the like early to mid 1960s. So you can kind of time things if you're watching along. And if you know kind of general history, I guess. For so like for the Japanese audience, they would get all of those. I'm Yeah. Know. Yeah. I always, you know, the first time I saw this, I was like it'd be interesting to see I don't want to see it, but in mm. some ways it would be interesting to see like an American version of this because you could do that with American cinema and with the studio shutting down over here, it would be very different. But if you put it in a similar era, there was a lot that happened here, obviously Mm -hmm. at the same time as well. So I just think, man, it just always makes me think when I watch it, like I wish more people would see this because it's it's just (laughs) so interesting, but yeah. um, What's another scene that kind of stood out to you? I think towards the middle, like one scene, one of my favorite scenes is when she is, it's kind of like a dream sequence. Like after, I'm trying to remember exactly when it is in the movie. So I know the whole thing is like yeah. so surreal and not out of order, but I mean, it's not like it follows 
Japanese history because <laughs> she's got right. so many movies in the middle of it in like feudal Japan. So it's kind of hard to remember. Yeah. So it does jump back and forth through time. And in fact, uh, I guess I'm going to go on a little side tangent if you don't mind. Oh, go for it. But the, the order of like the genres that she goes through uh-huh. isn't really true to what was happening in Japanese film at the times oh. that they have to be there. Some of them are roughly there. But especially like the early, early parts. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so like the samurai movie and then when she turns into a ninja right after that, um, the there's actually direct references to Throne of Blood where mm-hmm. in the in the shots where the arrows are hitting the side of the castle yeah. and the ghost woman with the spinning wheel. Those yes. are straight <laughs> out of Throne of Blood. I and thought about that when, when yeah. we covered it in an episode. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is where all this is from. <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. that until I saw it. And Throne of Blood was 1957. But within Chiyoko's life, those movies would have had to have come out in like the 1930s, which there wasn't really that kind of... There, there were samurai movies at the time, but like not like that. So, yeah. But I think it still works because it's it's one of those things where we talked about where I believe Chioko was just kind of filling in from her own experience in films and just kind of fitting it to where it would belong. And so like her fighting for what she believes in is more along the lines of like a samurai and a ninja and things like that. So it kind of has to go there. Yeah. And there's this thing that happens in that scene. So like early on uh, going back a little bit when she's discovered there's a an older actress that's very mm-hmm. jealous of her youth and beauty, and that continues. She keeps like being paired with this woman, um, and she gets paired with her in the in the ninja one too. And then there's another layer where there's an even older woman, the the woman with the wheel that you talked about. Which mm-hmm. when I first saw it, I kind of saw her as a stand-in for an older Chioko, and even the older woman that she meets is another version of Chioko in a way when she's older and realizes she's mm-hmm. past like starlet age. So in some ways to me, the women, although they're different characters are all kind of her somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you had asked me what scene I wanted to talk about next, I would have picked the same one specifically mm-hmm. because I love the part with the wheel where she tells her, I love you more than I can bear, but I hate you more than I can bear. And mm-hmm. I always thought that part was just so, I don't know, so moving. Yeah, and she sees that that old woman in reflections like throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the movie. Like she sees yeah. it whenever she, she gets the uh, frames that image that where we I think we assume that the artist or the man painted of Chioko oh, that she right. sees. Yeah, and she sees the reflection of the woman in that. She sees it in the reflection of her space helmet towards the end of the movie, and I think you're onto something about the that old woman being part of Chiyoko or at least another aspect because there is that there is one shot late in the movie where the old woman's hair kind of goes back and she has the same mole in the same spot on her face Ooh, I didn't even notice that but I noticed like when there's a part in the movie where she looks at that portrait again and the reflection Mm -hmm. back is her as an old woman yeah yeah and you know I I interpreted it as you know in some ways she's older looking back going man, I, I loved when I was young, but I also like hate you because it's like, that's over for me, you know? 
And right. I thought it was sort of like a metaphor for also the way the older woman treated her early on. But I read that, you know, one other interpretation is like, it's her being frustrated with her obsession with that man too. It's like, she loves the way that being obsessed with him and being in love with him gives her this like burning passion, but it's also like torture as well because they never get together. Yeah. I, I don't think I would really interpret it like that. I can, I can totally see that. And that's one of the great things about the movie. Yeah. You it, can interpret it different ways. Yeah. To me, Chiyoko never really, she never felt bad about, well, I'll take that a little bit back. She does get upset in the, the scene we talked about where she's saying that she forgets she's forgetting what he was like, Oh yeah. but it's, it's that realization that will, even if I did find him, what would it be like? I don't really know him. He doesn't really know me. It's this promise of love that I'm really in love with. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but by the end, I don't think she ever really is like despising herself for yeah. what she did. I think she's satisfied with her life. Yeah, that's true. In a, in a way, you know. How do you interpret what that woman means when she says those lines, the old lady? Or do you feel like that's just kind of like an embellishment because it's like a an old movie with, you know, she's like a yokai? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's part of it. As far as... I do think that that the old woman is part of Chiyoko and I I think that the like I despise you more than I can bear is maybe just the fact that she doesn't fit into what other people expected of her maybe mm, that's part of what like it is that. because her mother wanted her to be a homemaker she wanted her to raise that's kids right. and raise a family the producer that she meets when she's like I don't know around 10 or so he wants her to do her duty for her country and be in these patriotic movies to build uh, support for the, because this is when Japan was getting back into their imperialism, like mm -hmm. heading into world war two. Right. And so that's a lot of what film was in the late thirties and into the forties was like patriotism and make people feel good about make other people feel things as opposed to you feeling good for mm. what you're doing. Oh, okay. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. I also like, you know, in a lot of narratives, um, and including in Perfect Blue, there's like this theme of like, um, especially with female characters, and, and again, in that first movie, um, you know, her manager is like incredibly jealous of uh, the main character. And mm -hmm. it's like this, you know, older woman hating a younger woman thing. But I feel like this movie, again, kind of turns a lot of things on its head where she has this combative relationship with an older actress. But towards the middle, towards the end, they become more like allies and more like friends. Um, and then I think like, you know, this older version of herself, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, yeah, I'm kind of jealous of the youth that you had, but I love you as well. And I just think that's such a interesting and different way of looking at like female relationships and dynamics that like a lot of other movies don't always you know it's usually women being at each other's throats <laughs> and like i like right, that this movie yeah. does something different with all that because it's you know life is really a lot more complicated than that and relationships are complicated so i always thought that was kind of a cool aspect of the, of the film for sure and like you said the the older woman in perfect blue was a hundred percent antagonistic towards yes. bima but in this one 
it's it is a lot more complicated and a lot it's a lot more real and they both realize towards the end of the movie whenever the truth comes out so that Aiko stole the key from her gave it to the director so that the director could swoop in and marry yeah. Chiyoko and the older uh, actress does realize like hey we've both been used by this guy I don't really have the energy to care about any of this anymore so mm-hmm. I just it's it's not necessarily a happy ending, but that's yeah. life, you know? They don't become, like, true allies, but I think they realize, like you said, that they share a lot of common ground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that happens, like, towards the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that part of it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for bringing that up. Sure. Um, oh, go ahead. It's also, just to interject just a little, it's a oh, lot yeah. like the way... Um, Yasujiro Ozu, one of the probably the most famous director, at least inside Japan, uh, a lot of his movies are like that to where oh. it's not good or bad. It's just life. Um, mm-hmm. He did uh, Tokyo Story. If you've ever seen that one, no. um, Setsuko Haro was in that. But it's basically about family dynamics. And one of the most famous lines in that is towards the end of the movie where one of the characters talks to, is talking about family and how families change and how eventually people drift apart. And one of the characters says, life is disappointing, isn't it? And the main character, Setsuko Hara, she's basically says like, yeah, but that's just life. And I feel like that's definitely an intentional nod to Ozu within Millennium Actress to give that, you know what, this is my life. This is what I did. I was pursuing something. I created great things and it is what it is. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's such a good point. I didn't know that background of it, but I really like just in general the way that Satoshi Kon, like his, he a lot of times the protagonist is female, but whereas in like, say, a uh, Miyazaki film, I feel like, well, mm. because it's a younger audience typically that it's aimed at, mm. but like the heroines tend to be like pure and wonderful and kind of perfect right and like right. i feel like in satoshi kon's stories they're always multifaceted and interesting and um and complicated you know i don't feel mm-hmm. like you walk away from this thinking like oh chiyoko was like the perfect beautiful actress with like an amazing perfect life you're like okay she was a complicated person who made mistakes and did things that you know, she kind of regretted later on, not, not horrible things, but just like mm-hmm. normal life things. And um, yeah, I just like that she kind of has all these different sides to her. And I feel like that nod that you're talking about sort of exemplifies the movie like, hey, this has been kind of like a fantastic ride you've been on so far, but just kind of want to remind you like she had like a regular life, you know, mm, right. <laughs> like the character is not perfect. And I feel like that's a very Japanese way of, of making a movie that yeah. certain audiences won't necessarily connect with, but it's it's very much in the, from my experience, watching bunches of Japanese films, like a lot of, at least classic ones, kind of in that way where it's not really mm-hmm. about completing a goal or a task. It's just more of a commentary about a representation of life in art, oh. I think. I like that. Yeah. Well, was there, are there other scenes we haven't touched on yet? I know there's like so many scenes in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I did mention that, that one scene towards the middle where she's basically, it's, you see 
Chiyoko, that sequence where she's like riding a horse, I believe, and then she's being pulled in a rickshaw, and then Genya's pulling oh, yeah. the rickshaw. Um, that's like the brightest, most colorful scene in the entire movie. It's it's one of my favorites. It looks amazing on my my Blu-ray, but uh, I just I really liked how Satoshi Kon uses color in this movie, mm-hmm. and he did talk about that a little bit in one of those interviews, saying that like good memories are usually like bright and mm. like in human minds there, you, you see details and it's bright and it's colorful, but bad memories or old memories, they're usually like less so maybe black and white. Um, and so that's kind of the reason if you, if you watch the movie and you're paying attention to the color, like when Chiyoko first starts talking about, her life it's those mm-hmm. black and white images there's some red splashed mm-hmm. in there then when she gets to her movies even though these would definitely have been in black and white during that time it's faded out colors it's very muted like like colors washed out but mm-hmm. then you look at Kenya and Kyoji who are in those at the time and they're like fully bright because they're like they're in the moment in that room with with Chiyoko I just really like how it all brings it together yeah and i feel like a lot of those concepts get further sharpened when you get to his movie paprika too Mm -hmm. oh for sure yeah because that's all about memories you know yeah yeah (laughs) it kind of builds off of this one but i hadn't noticed that but that makes a lot of sense and then like you said that scene with the rickshaw and the horse and all that that's like that was in the trailer i think too Mm -hmm. yeah like it's kind of it's a really good representation of like what the film's about Right. I think that one and the scene where after she discovers that Otaki was the, the director was the one who had taken the key mm-hmm. and the the policeman who had arrested the the mystery man years ago, whenever he's an old man and comes back to basically apologize oh, yeah. for for what he did and Chiyoko sets off on her trek back to Hokkaido. Like, I really love that sequence of her running because she's always running in the movie. And mm-hmm. then this is really that moment where every single scene, it seems, is like all like chopped together in this one mm-hmm. sequence as she's running all the way back to Hokkaido. Some of it looks real. Some of it clearly isn't because there's a Godzilla monster in one of the shots. And there's just all these different eras like falling together in this one sequence of her, like her last, probably her last great memory of Mm -hmm. this man before she lost the key again yeah yeah good point gosh love it (laughs) (laughs) i feel like like you said this is a movie where it's it's so good i don't want to say that it's heavy like you know it doesn't depress me but i do feel like it evokes a lot of emotion to where i really enjoy the movie but i i couldn't watch it like all the time because I right. really feel like I go on that journey with her. I really feel it. Um, and it's a lot of tough feelings. So it's like beautiful, but kind of painful at the same time, which I mean, I guess that's, I mean, that that's what makes the movie so good is that it can make you like feel all those things. Absolutely. Well, have we missed any episodes? I hate to be so quick, but I'm like, I think. I feel like we blasted through it. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing we haven't really talked about is the key itself. Okay, yeah, let's chat about that. Let's see. So 
at the beginning, so the the man is wearing the key as she first sees him, and he gives it to her basically as mm-hmm. like a promise, like bring this back to me whenever we meet again. Um, I wanted to ask you: Do you have any idea of what that key may be for, or do you think it matters? I mean, it's kind of a MacGuffin. I feel like, um, yeah. but yeah, it's like: Is it the key to his heart? The key to perfection i don't know i mean i guess i'll be honest here maybe i'm too simple i (laughs) i haven't put that much thought into it what about you i i mean similar i do think it's more of the symbol i think by the end of the movie when she realizes she's in love with the chase in love with her concept of who he is more than who Mm -hmm. he is that's what it represents but there's a shot if you go back and watch the sequence where she's in the storeroom with the man after he's she first meets him and when he asks her what do you think it's for she looks down and there's a locked box beside him with all different colors on it Hmm. so i'm thinking that maybe from his perspective that the key opens that box and those are his paints and that's what he uses to express himself because of all the different colors on the box that's kind of what i got out of it the probably third or fourth time I watched it. So because for him, yeah, in that moment, he also talks about his friends fighting in Manchuria and paint brushes are paints and brushes don't aren't good help with that. But that's how he, that's how he protests. That's how he makes his mark on the world is through his painting. And to me, I think maybe that's what he meant. But for Mm. Chiyoko, it's, something else entirely because she sees the box too and you can see her look at it and then she's like i'm not sure like that'll be my homework for next time so Mm. i think it's i do think there's a lot of layers there in the end it really doesn't matter it's just her connection to him but that's kind of what i got from it well that makes a lot of sense if the whole metaphor is like the pursuit of art you know in Mm. general so that would that would make a lot of sense and it's it's a, a neat parallel to Chiyoko, who, even though she didn't realize it, one other like neat um, connection between Setsuko Hara, the real actress, and mm-hmm. Chiyoko, is that whenever Setsuko Hara retired from acting, like it wasn't clear why she did it. She never came out publicly and publicly and said, "This is why I'm leaving." Some people said that possibly due to the fact that she never really enjoyed acting was one of the reasons. Mm. Um, And I think that goes along, whether that's true or not, I think that can be seen as another reference to Chiyoko, who only acted, says she only acted in order to put her face out there so hopefully the man will see her and they'll reunite. But is that really why? Maybe that's why she started. But clearly she is in love with what she has done she has all the memorabilia she sees the love that genya has and she kind of feeds off that and they go back and forth with it so there's there's something more there that she's not really telling us yeah yeah i mean there's definitely like a relationship between the artist and their audience but it it is hard to tell like yeah i did think that too it's like she says Mm -hmm. that she put her face out there to get his attention and see him again but Ultimately, I think she enjoyed what she did and she right. was, you know, happy with it. 
regardless yeah. of what ended up happening. It's like it happened along the way. It's not the destination. It's the friends <laughs> you made along the way, you know, kind of stuff. So, yeah. I, I the, like... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I like all the ways that earthquakes and stuff um, mm-hmm. impact, like, what's happening in the film. It's like the earthquakes are, like, real physical things, mm-hmm. but then also kind of metaphorical for, like, moving the story forward. I don't know. I'm always a sucker for, like, weather or events you know i guess like disasters mm-hmm. or whatever kind of being the same as uh moving a story along yeah for sure and that's definitely like the major points or at least most of the major points in shioko's life were centered on earthquakes she was born mm-hmm. during one one of the one of the worst ever and she quit acting during one and that scene in the spaceship and mm-hmm. then she died right after one so it's, yeah. there's definitely a connection there and I love at the beginning of the movie, there's one when Genya is watching that scene from the rocket ship. And I think that's the first time that's how Satoshi Kon is like kind of planting the seed in your mind that this movie is going to connect movies to reality. Because as mm-hmm. the rocket ship blasts off on his TV screen, the earthquake starts. He doesn't really even notice it at first because the screen is shaking. He's into the movie so uh, in depth that he doesn't realize that there's an actual earthquake going on around him. So that connection between movie and reality is already there in that mm. very first scene. Uh, I like that. Did not notice that. And I also love a good, uh, a bookend for my movies. So like yeah. the fact that it begins and ends with a starry sky and that space scene. Mm-hmm. I think I love that. I love that closing the book, like coming full circle is I always like that in any movie. Yeah. A random thought, not really like picking out a specific scene, but one of the things I've always really liked about Satoshi Kon's works is that like his characters look like real people. Mm. Um, You know, like he has all these different characters. They're different like ages and backgrounds and things like that. I always like that about all of the stuff. I mean, you can really see it like on display and stuff like Paranoia Agent where like they have so many different characters and they all look so different, but yeah, like in this one, I like the way that the 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 director or the filmmaker and his cameraman just look like regular guys. You know, <laughs> they don't look like For sure, yeah. Hollywood caricatures of people. They look like real people. And there are even those like anime moments, like early when the his assistant says something about I think something about uh, Chiyoko being old or something. Yeah. And he throws a thing at her and, you know, he like slow motion <laughs> falls down. Like that's the most anime I think it gets. Other than that, that's it's true. very, it's very, I think the designs are amazing um, throughout the entire movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a movie. It's one of the anime that like you can pause it at any specific frame and it, it's like gorgeous throughout the whole thing. Agreed. And I feel like the camera guy and the filmmaker kind of remind me of like characters and like, on Akira Kurosawa film, like the, you know, yeah. the two samurai that are like goofy mm-hmm. that you always have. They're kind of like this comedic duo in the film that are sort of like, I don't know, drawn from Japanese cinema in a way too. For sure. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't think about that either, but that's, that could definitely be another reference because clearly Kurosawa was an influence on, yeah. on some of these scenes. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess we went through all of it. <laughs> I guess we did it. 
Um, unless last you can thing, think of anything else. No, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, last thing I'll mention. Uh, symbolism. I love symbolism. And throughout the movie, if you noticed, you must have noticed all the cranes seen throughout the yes. movie. They're on Chiyoko's kimono in one scene. There's her uh, Chiyoko's crest that she has that's hanging behind Genya is a crane. There are physical, mechanical cranes, like the machines in that yeah. beginning scene when Genya is driving down the road. And the movie's called Millennium Actress, so that's like a thousand years. And cranes, traditionally in Japan, are said to live for a thousand years. Yeah. So it's it's that connection of and that came early on in the process of developing the movie when it when they came up with the idea for hopping through time periods it was supposed to i think it was supposed to be like a sci-fi movie at first before it got honed down to what it is and he was like oh well this person's living for a thousand years we're going to call a millennium actress that's what it's called so. oh, okay no. and also no. go ahead go ahead and also last one is the okay. uh the lotus the lotus uh well, Genya, his oh, that's right. studio is called Lotus. And Chiyoko's like, oh, I love Lotus flowers. And he's like, yeah, I know. That's why we call it that. But also, Aww. it's the symbol of purity is what they say in the movie. And if you notice, the moon base, when it opens up, it's a gigantic mechanical Lotus flower. And that's what she shoots out of at the end of the movie. Oh, it's also maybe a nod to ma Magnetic Rose a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Since he, I think he wrote that or, or directed it. I think so. Yeah. Um, wow, I didn't even think about that, but nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many layers. Yeah, and I don't want to forget any of it for sure. Um, this is one of those things that's like, I like this movie so much. I'm like terrified to mess it up. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like nervous, that. I, that's why. <laughs> I always feel unprepared when I when I come on here because yeah, I love these movies and I feel like emotionally invested and I'm like, I want to get this has to be the definitive like discussion of this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I think you know, I, yeah, I think we did good. Um, <laughs> I I I have said it before and I'll say it again. I I just he's honestly one of my favorite directors and you know like. If you're listening to this, you know that I like anime. Okay. But seriously, like in general, he's one of my favorite directors. I felt like yeah. he had such an influence on so many films that people love. Like every time someone talks about Black Swan, I think about Perfect Blue. When mm -hmm. people talk about Inception, I think about um, Paprika. And it's like not always directly, but I just mean that he thought about things differently and and concepts a little bit differently and they, they felt like they were a little ahead of their time um and i just really liked his projects it's just so sad that there's not more of them you know yeah it's a tragedy i'm sure we talk about this and we talk about perfect blue but like what how he did what four features i want to say tokyo yeah, godfathers he was like in the middle Paprika. of one more right yeah yeah they said they were going to finish that one but it's been what 13 years at this point so mm -hmm. we'll see if that ever happens but yeah it's he's one of my favorite directors too just because yeah I'm way ahead of his time and he's whenever people ask me about like anime to recommend it's like perfect blues top millennium actress mm -hmm. is up there paprika probably in that order actually yeah so. i think though this is kind of corny but just go with mm -hmm. it <laughs> much like in this movie where Chiyoko is sort of, you know, 
there's so many meanings to like, I think that ending line and part of it is like, she's dying, but her life is sort of immortalized in her work. Right. Right. And that's kind of how art is. And so in some ways it's the same with Satoshi Kon to me that like, yeah, he's gone, but like his imprint is definitely left and felt. Um, and you know, it's not like I watch these movies and get s- super sad, you know, I'm just like, man, he sure. created some beautiful stuff and it's, yeah, we're lucky that we have that stuff and, and, you know, glad that we still get to see it. So, yeah, I, I have the same order. I think that you do. Um, I like Tokyo Godfathers too, but it's mm. a little lower on my list. Same. Yeah. Um, but it's a great movie. Like it's, that one is, is really good. It's like a very, um, touching film touching christmas movie (laughs) but it's not like in terms of like what he's capable of i feel like that order that you gave um is probably mine as well yeah all right well i guess that wraps me up to my last couple of questions then um if you had to summarize why do you like this movie like what kind of keeps you coming back why did you buy a a seal book of this one (laughs) Uh one, because I'm an avid uh, physical media collector and I'm only getting worse. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, after what HBO and other companies right. have pulled lately, I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the right path. But more so <laughs> than that, real answer is, like I mentioned earlier, I see new things every time I watch it. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll see it in a different way every time I see it. And I, I don't watch it all the time which helps to kind of make that happen to where, yeah, it's been a couple years since I've seen it. So this on this last watch that I did preparing for this show, I saw different things about it and like made different connections. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with movies that you can have that experience with, you know, that, that are complicated. And every time you watch them, you see something different or find something new, like, sometimes I like a movie so much. I'm like, that's not enough. I want to go back and get more out of it. I wish there was more of it. And so like, I like films like this. Um, And I am on the exact same page as you in that, you know, it's not like I watch this movie every year or something. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've probably only seen it a handful of times if I'm honest, but that's because I just think it covers so much stuff. And like I said before, I feel like I go through so many emotions watching it that I'm like, that would be exhausting to like watch it all the time (laughs) (laughs) or that it would lose like the, a special aspect of it that I want to keep there. So I just don't Mm -hmm. watch it too many times. Um, So, so yeah, I think I keep coming back to it because there's just a lot to explore and you know, it's just, it had a big impact on me when I first saw it. And so I keep coming back to it. So, okay. How do you pitch something like this to someone that's never seen it before? That's a little tougher. I think (laughs) you probably had a good in with like newer movies. Like you said, everything everywhere Mm -hmm. all at once. If you like it's, if you like dramas told in about life told in a unique way, then this is, I can't think of a better movie than millennium actress. Really? Uh, I mean, there, there are movies similar to it that deal with, Things with like memories and uh, just the the fragile nature of like memories and things like that, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what this is. But it's more of a cohesive like if you love movies and you love unique movies told in a unique way, then this is the way to go. 
yeah, like the whole movie is sort of a love letter to film. Mm-hmm. And so if you love movies, that's one aspect of it. Another one is, like you said, there's other movies that have kind of done something similar. Like I'm thinking of movies like, you know, Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, which yeah. kind of has some some similar stuff in it, although that movie is a lot more heartbreaking, whereas this one is mm-hmm. very optimistic. But um, I had seen some reviews of everything everywhere all at once. I keep coming back to that, but of criticizing it of like it's too positive and like saccharine and sweet or something like that and it's like i really don't like that about sometimes some film critiques where it's like if the movie is not tragic it can't be deep because that's not true and i feel like this movie really proves that that like a movie can have optimistic outlook without it being you know and still maintain like that level of depth that that you've come to expect from a, a good, well-written story. So, I mean, yeah, I like that. I like the, the, the many things that this movie, I think challenges. I, I really enjoy. I'm not sure that's a good pitch, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have a, I have a hard enough time getting some of my friends to watch anime anyway. So exactly. <laughs> I feel like I do have to like sit them down and look at them and be like, okay, you need to listen to me. This is going to be a five minute <laughs> pitch, but you've got to listen yeah. to all of it. Um, I know. Yeah. It's like, again that picture of like that meme of charlie day and all those (laughs) pictures and stuff that that's exactly how i feel talking about this and many other movies akira probably Uh even worse but (laughs) (laughs) yeah anime in general it's like getting past getting someone to get past the quote-unquote weirdness which i always feel like is very lame but i'm like you have to just give it a shot you know you have to just jump in maybe that's my pitch just just watch it it's free if you trust me you know me, right? Trust me. I'm recommending it. Just watch it. That's, that's what yeah. I do. Um, I have good taste. I know what I'm talking about. I don't <laughs> exactly. even know if that's true, but yeah, it's good. Um, well, Chris, thank you so much again for coming on and for talking about this movie with me. I really appreciate it. Um, before you go, can can you let people know where they can find you? You can find me. I tweet from the handle at the last theater usually on uh, Twitter, sometimes high spot underscore four, three, seven. And you can find my writing on creepycatalog.com where that's where I make my living now. So go check nice. me out over there. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>